Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, May 8th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. Hopefully, by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and new ideas and have some fun along the way. Today, I have a truly interesting guest, Beverly Hammond, president of Veritas Communications in Toronto. Beverly is a veteran of both communications and politics and leads a team of multidisciplinary communications specialists whose commitment to integrated programs drives their clients' business. Prior to joining Veritas, she was president of Think.Inc. Communique, PR and director of public relations at Gray Canada, which is part of the Gray Worldwide Group of Companies. Her diverse agency work has provided her with significant exposure to various communications and marketing capabilities, and she has an extensive knowledge of how to combine those capabilities to deliver powerful communication campaigns for her clients. She also has an extensive political communications advisor resume, but uh, instead of just reading all this, we'll talk to her. Hello, welcome, Beverly. Hi. Hi, Katie. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. So, I mean, I just saw you yesterday in Toronto. (laughs) That's right. And I left as the weather was getting nice. I felt really cheated a little bit, if I can be honest about it. It's a beautiful day in Toronto today. Oh, man. Well, my consolation is it's a beautiful day back here in Miami as well. Good. It's always a beautiful day in Miami. (laughs) Well, Well, thank you for joining us. And I thought maybe the First, you could just talk a little bit about Veritas Communications and what you guys do. Sure. Well, Veritas, as uh, we've just alluded to, is actually located in Canada, and we are a specialty communications agency. We operate in three different practices. So we have a marketing PR practice, and in that practice, we do a lot of um, consumer package work and a lot of work with big brands like Trojan and Guinness and Coca-Cola and Duncan Hines and Crayola and you know, it's, it's a lot of brand PR work. And then um, we also have a public affairs and uh, corporate communications practice. And in that practice, we have a number of government clients, so different government departments and government agencies. But we also have um, some corporate clients in the financial sector and in the energy sector. So there's lots of interesting stuff going on there. And of course, uh, in that capacity, we offer all kinds of uh, all kinds of things. We have a very booming crisis communications uh, product that we offer. We've got uh, media coaching and um, you know all of the other elements of corporate communications, including employee relations. And then our third practice is called health education, and that's in fact a combination of services that we offer to pharmaceutical and other healthcare clients. Recognizing that in Canada, the rules are different. You actually can't advertise uh, a drug in Canada. Oh, is that right? That's right. So that's great for us in the PR world, as you can imagine, (laughs) because that is really the best way for pharmaceutical companies to really get any consumer-facing exposure on, on drugs. So we do both PR... Uh, you know, media relations and other activities for pharmas and hospitals and other healthcare providers. But we also have a little niche offering, which is continuing medical education. And that's also really important for pharmaceuticals because they need to educate doctors on new drugs that are coming onto the market or you know, any sort of new indications for a drug. So there is a real opportunity there. It's a little different kind of communication than your typical PR stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's it's an interesting, very interesting sort of adult education division we have. And now, and what is your typical day, you know, overlooking all of this? What does your typical day look like? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, or is there no typical day? <laughs> I actually have a great management team, which makes my life a lot easier. I'm typically working on new business, business development, um, 
strategic work on our clients and, uh, you know, spend a lot of time liaising, you know, at the C-level suite typically in our clients. And, yeah, gosh, I don't know what I do every day, Katie. <laughs> You're very busy. This I know. <laughs> this I know. And I, we were trying, you were very kind to squeeze me in for this. Oh, no problem. Let's, let's talk a little bit because you mentioned crisis communications, and that's something that's definitely been on my mind a lot lately, especially if you look at all the things that have been going on in the news recently. Um, I recently had on Suzanne Vernitza from the Wall Street Journal talking about the, I miss, the Don Imus scandal as it was breaking. And I, I thought maybe you could talk a little bit today how crises or the way that people handle crises have, have changed, especially how the Internet has impacted the, the speed of, of sort of the snowball effect of everything. Yes, yeah, certainly the speed. You know, when you talk about crises, the, these days are, uh, there seem to be so, more of the, so many more yeah. of them, um, which, of course, is always good when you're in the business of helping manage them. But, in fact, I don't think there are, you know, are a whole lot more. I think what we're finding, though, is a proliferation of media and, as you said, the uh, the onset of the Internet and 24-7 news cycles means that these things, when they come on, they come on fast. You know, there's no opportunity to think through how you're going to manage this thing. Um, when it hits, typically it is everywhere in a big hurry. Uh, a, a great one recently to use as an example might be, and I, I think you guys are pretty familiar with this one, Menu Foods. There was quite a big um, issue around dogs and cats getting really sick and dying from all yeah. kinds of big brand name, you know, pet uh, food products. And, I, yeah. boy, they waited a couple of days, you know. They tried to get their ducks in a row. And the issue in this day and age is that if you do that, Somebody else will fill that airtime, will fill that, you know, virtual space, will fill the space in the newspaper before you even have a chance to get out there with your message. So the big impact is, I would say it's a couple of things. It's probably one, oh, it's definitely one. You need to be on top of it. You need to understand what the issue is right away. And in an instant, you know, in an, on a dime, you need to have something turned around, some kind of a communication turned around, uh, even a bridging communication so that then at least you can buy a little bit of time to develop your strategy. But, you know, you're not sleeping for a few days for sure. It's not, you're not, it's not like you're working nine to five anymore trying to think through how you manage it. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is making sure that you know who all of your stakeholders are and mm -hmm. making sure you've got a message for every one of them because they will always find out one way or the other. And so it's really about speed and it's about being very thorough. Well, it's a big it, impact. In terms of, I mean, you make, you make such a good point, you know, on a dime you have to be ready. But, you know, in terms of the, of the menu foods, do you think they handled it well? Do you think there was something else they should have done? Well, <laughs> I think there were a few issues there, and it's, um, it's, it's hard to say whether it was handled well or not. I, I can tell you a couple of things that aren't necessarily to do with timing, but one of the big things when you're communicating in a crisis, especially if there's a high emotional element to it, like, you know, when people's dogs and cats are dying, uh, that's, that's a big issue, and, and people are very emotional about it. You need to be very empathetic and recognizing that immediately in a crisis, lawyers get involved. They have to, especially with, you know, a publicly traded company or large corporations. Um, and they tend to really sort of turn, turn the discussion into a very legal, sometimes seemingly cold um, messaging process. And that's a definite issue in this case. So, for example... Um, the very first newser that Menu Foods held, mm -hmm. it wasn't until about 20 minutes into the actual newser that the president even indicated he owned a dog. Oh, really? So there was no empathy. There was no feeling of, oh, God, you know, we, people are so afraid to say they're sorry, right, for liability reasons. But you need to find a way to connect to the people who have been injured, whether it's been intentional or not. Yeah. And you need to be able... You need to somehow connect to them, and you need to be able to reach out and say, we feel bad about this. Well, no, you it's think, not. It, it, you maybe think blogs are you have to find a way that? to say it without, you know, obviously 
creating all kinds of legal issues, but there are ways to say it, and that's where good PR comes in. Yeah. Do you think blogs are, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, do you think blogs are a good way to do that, one, of a, one way? I think blogs are a good way to do a lot of things, um, and I think so many people are blogging in this day and age that um, you can't avoid being, you know, being on a blog. How do you counsel your clients regarding blogs? I mean, if you were, well, let me just leave it at that. How, how do you counsel your clients regarding them? Well, I would say, how do we counsel our clients? We talk, we, we, first of all, in, in some cases, we really need to educate our clients on blogging, recognizing mm-hmm. that they are often not necessarily the demographic that is totally into it at, in the moment, mm-hmm. although they may want to talk to that demo. Um, so we really... First, we make, help them understand what blogging is and how, like anything in public relations or media relations, it is about relationships. Yeah. So you need to know who the bloggers are. Um, you need to understand that it is, um, it's not a controlled environment. And, and as soon as it is a controlled environment, it's not a blog. So right. um, they need to understand that. And we just help them to give them the tools to, A, understand it, and then get a handle on how it might work for them strategically. You know, you raise an excellent point that it's not a controlled environment. And sometimes we have clients and they, they say to us, you know, if something's up on a blog, or even, even for us, I mean, people have written stuff about Crispin Porter Bogusky on blogs that just out and out aren't true. Aren't true. Do you suggest sort of getting into a dialogue and trying to correct that? Or do you think, you know what, forget it, it's out there, and whatever I say will just add fuel to the fire, whatever it is? You know what, Katie, I think it varies depending on the situation and mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the enormity or the, you know, the, the, the impact that whatever is being said might actually have. In anything, you need to pick your battles, right? Yeah. So you need to actually figure out whether or not, I mean, it could be untrue, but does it matter? That would be the first question. And because we know you can't control your message, we, we basically say sometimes it's about it, when there's something out there, sometimes it really is about trying to limit it. So if you get into a debate on a blog, uh, there used to be a saying in media, which was, you know, don't get into a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. And that, that means, that, you know, don't, if, if you can keep something a one-day wonder and mm-hmm. then it will go away, that's better than going back and forth for three weeks trying to correct a point. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it really is about every situation is different. As long as you understand that, the, you know, everybody's a self-publisher on a blog, so anybody can jump in at any time. And if you continue to propagate something, uh, you know, there's a good chance somebody else will get in on it and you never know where it'll go. So, you know, if, it, if it's not something that's really important and, you know, and really, really needs correcting, yeah, I, I don't recommend people, you know, go crazy yeah. on, on trying to correct things. So then I guess my, my final question sort of on, on this is then, do companies, do they really have any control over their message these days when there's so much input from so many different places? You know, that's a very good question. And I think, I think you always have control over your message. What you need to recognize is that other people can now participate in it. So what you're putting out there um, is always your message, but you need to do it in a way that acknowledges there are a lot of other viewpoints out there, and you can't can't necessarily disregard those viewpoints. So, boy, control of a message—that is a really interesting concept in this yeah. uh, in this new environment. But you sort of you have to cede some control. There's no question about it. On one hand, but on the other hand, you need to you need to understand what your brand is and what your message is. And if you're living it, and if you're actually communicating what your authentic brand truly is, then that that's what's out there anyway. That's what other people are going to be doing as well. But if you're you know if you're trying to snow somebody, you know you can't snow the snowman. So yeah. which probably isn't something that works really well in Miami. Sorry, but uh, but you really can't. And if you're trying to reflect an image of your brand that's not authentic, and you're trying to control the message that way, you'll never do it. You yeah. know, somebody will always see through it. There are too many other people out there now that are participating in your brand. Which is a huge change, right, from even 
three or four years ago, really. Huge change. Huge change. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you know, I thought part of what you do is media relations. There's so much more to it. But I, I had a bunch of media relations uh, questions for you that I thought, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I couldn't resist asking you. So it's, they're pretty basic, but I thought maybe, I know you'll have some great pointers and people listening would really like to know. So if you don't mind, I just have a couple of questions sort of along this vein. Oh, I would love that, Katie. I'm an old uh, press secretary, so uh, I love media relations. It's my first love. So then let me ask you a very basic question with, with all sorts of answers. What is the best way to get a journalist interested in a story? Well, I would say there are two rules there. The first rule is that there actually has to be a story that for the journalist to be interested in. And I guess what I mean by that is that if a client wants us to pitch something that really isn't newsworthy, we owe it to them to be honest about that. You you know, everybody Mm -hmm. thinks their story is the most important thing that's happening in a day. We actually get paid to know whether or not that's the case. And so um, we actually have to be honest with them about that. And sometimes... It just needs something small to actually make it newsworthy or relevant. You know, it could be, we might just need a couple of polling questions to back something up or, you know, a seasonal, a seasonal hook if it's, you know, something we could launch in the fall for back to school to make it relevant or current. So there are, there are ways you can work with clients to find ways to make things newsworthy that maybe on the face of it aren't, but you really do have to have an honest look right at the outset and say, what can we do with this? Is it truly a story? Because the worst thing you can do for your own reputation as a PR person, and obviously, equally importantly, or more importantly, for the reputation of your client with the media, is to be trying to pitch something that is not newsworthy. It just, it will never work. And clients hire us to provide them with that counsel. So we really need to do that. Then I think the second rule is you have to know the journalist. I have a saying, and that is that media relations is as much about the relations part as it is about the media part. And as you know, Katie, you've got a lot of friends who are journalists. I'm sure they tell you, like my friends tell me, total horror stories about getting pitched things that they would never write about, never cover, never care about. But yet people are calling them up and wasting their time, and there's nothing worse you can do. Um, And I understand it's hard to know every journalist. It is what we're supposed to do, though. We, we are in media relations, so you really should get to know the journalist. But if you don't for some reason, if it's somebody you've just never dealt with, do a little bit of research. It, you know, again, it, it takes no time today with the Internet and with, with all of the access to information we have to find out about somebody. So number one is make sure the story is newsworthy, and number two is pitch it to somebody who will actually care about it. Yeah. Do you think that the big, do you think then that that's the biggest mistake that PR people make when they're trying to get media coverage is they really don't do their homework? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the biggest mistake they can do, they can make is that. I also think, you know, I had a friend one time say to me, and this is awful to say, um, but it's stuck <laughs> with me. Now everyone's said, like, well, if so I what? have one more 12 year old, call me up to pitch me a story and I ask one question about it and they don't know the answer. I will refuse to, you know, he just said, I'll I'll freak out. I can't handle this anymore. And I think that's a mistake we make in the PR business is we, you know, we give these great, earnest, young PR people a a piece of paper and say, go make a few calls. Yeah. And they don't know what, you know, and it's unfortunate for everybody involved, and it certainly doesn't serve the client well. So, but I, I do think the two things are, two worst things you can do is, not not have I mean, try and pitch a story that's not a story and try and pitch it to somebody who doesn't care about it. So What's you the, you got to know the media and yeah. you got to know that you know you got to know what makes something newsworthy. What is the craziest thing you have ever done to try to get a story place <laughs> that you can talk about? <laughs> is this a family show? <laughs> it's a family show. Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a great example. It's for Trojan condoms. Is that okay? It's perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, we were doing a, a campaign for Trojan condoms, and it was a, it was around Father's Day, but we were doing the non-Father's Day campaign for obvious reasons. So there's a really popular radio station here called The Edge 102.1, and, the, um, it, and it broadcasts at street level, you know, facing the street, 
with mm-hmm. a you know retail window out onto uh, Young Street, which in downtown Toronto is the main drag. And um, so the morning show host is this pretty crazy guy, and and this station is right across the plate for our target audience. It's it's the the most loved, best listened to radio station for our audience, and the morning show host. Um, sort of propagates the myth that he's quite a ladies' man. So, um, one of our young female staff members showed up outside the station one morning with a big homemade sign that she held up that said, Hey, Todd, uh, remember me? Thanks for last night or something like that. Happy Father's Day. And he loved it, of course. Uh, so she was also with the, um, the, our account manager on the Trojan business. So he invited them in. They ended up having this great discussion all about, you know, Trojan condoms and blah, blah, blah. And we just, and really, again, it's about knowing your, knowing the journalist, right? We knew that that's, that's this guy's thing. He's this ladies' man. So they went in there and they played to that and it worked brilliantly. And Katie, it was like a, an infomercial for 10 minutes. And the crazy thing is, Durex actually sponsors that radio show. That makes so it that was even better. That pretty well. <laughs> and there are uh, not to not to really get on the sex stay on the sex theme too much, but we were doing a um, a campaign for a sock company uh, called McGregor Socks, and we were making socks sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a couple of uh, our female team sort of dress up like dominatrix <laughs> go out and the, take the socks to the street and they got a ton of coverage so we sound awful sorry <laughs> well, i think that sounds terrific now moving on the woman theme but moving to something else we're going to take a very quick break but when we come back i'd love to talk to you about your your division called gloss sure so we will be back right after this Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Mr. Scott, I can't get any more information onto our website. I'm doing the best I can, Captain. There's no more room on the server. It's going to blow. Evaluation, Mr. Spock. The logical answer is Lunar Pages. Reputation, reliability, and legendary 24-7 support makes Lunar Pages the host to cling on to. Did you say cling on? Aye, Captain. Sign up at LunarPages.com and get $700 off coffee cup software absolutely free. If you call, they will answer. Lunar Pages it is. Beam us aboard, Mr. Scott. For out-of-this-world web hosting, Lunar Rocks. Sign up for web hosting with LunarPages.com and use coupon code LUNATICS to get $28 off. Faster than a speeding bullet, it's the super way to pay. It's Fast Transact. Fast Transact is the safe, secure, and fast way to process credit cards, online checks, and gift cards. Find multiple payment gateway and merchant account options to keep your costs down and sales up, up, and away. You can build your business empire in a single bound, while Fast Transact fights the never-ending battle to keep payment processing safe and secure. Your quest for an e-commerce solution has found its final destination. Fly over to FastTransact.com today. Howdy, boys, and you girls, too. I'm here to talk to you about Milnick Media, the best CPA network, period. They sure know how to deliver, and I know something about deliverance. Now, you want to get paid? Damn right you do. We'll make sure you get your money. Media's got support people who know their ass from their elbow. Need a new jet ski? How about one of them new Fangle Plasma TVs? Well, Cousin Jeremy here will hook you up with our Performance Rewards Program. Email submits, zip submits, ringtones, hell, we got them all. Yeehaw! Hey there, it's Cousin Jeremy. Get on over to M-I-L-L-N-I-C-Media.com and we'll have you so happy, you'll be squealing like a pig. Welcome to the 11th Annual International Web Award Competition. Walk the red carpet as the Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the Web Awards, recognizing the best websites in 96 different industries. Winners receive a beautiful image plaque or certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from the expert judges, links to your site from the highly ranked Web Awards site, and a free press release from PR Web. So the winner goes to... 
Well, you'll have to see for yourself. You can't win if you don't enter. Go to www.webaward.org to enter and win. Hurry, deadline for entry is May 31st. Gentlemen, start your engines. Okay, well, how do I get my engine started? Is your online marketing being left at the starting gate? Don't have enough information to stay ahead of your competitors? Then visit EngineReady.com and get a free trial of our affordable enterprise class web analytics. With EngineReady, you can accurately track revenues from all online marketing campaigns, search engines, banner ads, email, and more. EngineReady strategic marketing software. See why companies of all sizes achieve exceptional online results with EngineReady, the professional standard in search marketing. Oh, maybe I should just get out and push. Enjoying top payouts and unparalleled affiliate support is as easy as XY7.com. Just call 1-866-XY7-PAYS and see how it pays to join XY7 for increased conversions and higher revenue via the newest and hottest ad campaigns. Call 1-866-XY7-PAYS today or sign up at XY7.com and find out why thousands of other successful affiliate marketers already know. So don't wait. Call now. 1-866-XY7-PAYS. Pays. That's 1-866-XY7-PAYS. XY7.com. The only ad network you'll ever need to get paid. XY7.com. Every one of you listening on the web, look out, because soon, very soon, the most electrifying monster radio show ever conceived will be stalking your internet. It's Run, don't walk to affiliate things. <laughs> There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. There's no escape from Affiliate Thing. Affiliate Thing has captured the news, tips, and resources as it feeds on the affiliate world. The big news, the big stories, and the big interviews. It's Affiliate Thing. Starring Affiliate Summit co-founder Sean Collins. Revenue Magazine's Editor-in-Chief Lisa Peccarelli and a cast of exciting young people. It's big. It's growing. It's getting stronger every day. It's affiliate marketing. It's affiliate networks. It's affiliate day. Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, only on webmasterradio.fm. Just getting your feet wet on the internet? Then dive into our stream. WebmasterRadio.fm We're the coolest place around. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm Now, here's your host... Welcome back. You're listening to The Hook, and today my guest is Beverly Hammond, president of Veritas Communications. Hello, Beverly. Hi, Katie. So, I was just, when we were in Toronto, I heard you give a fantastic presentation about a division that you have at Veritas called Gloss, and I really just thought it, it just blew me away. I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about it. Can, can we start by just talking about what Gloss is? Absolutely. Uh, Gloss is a really neat um, part of our marketing PR practice, and it is a division that targets specifically and very specifically women in their 20s. So um, if you have a product or an issue that you actually want to communicate uh, to women in, their, in, in this, specifically between the ages of 22 and 30, mm-hmm. um, then Gloss is the place to go to. And so that's sort of the first premise. And then the second thing is it isn't just public relations. As you know, the world of communications is changing dramatically, and there's such a blurring of the lines now between PR and marketing and market research. I mean, everything is sort of getting all mixed up, and so we have actually, we call this a a portal to all things 20-something and female, because It's staffed by, we've got obviously some senior strategists and some researchers in it, but we also have women in their 20s who who work in it. So we say the folks at Gloss don't just know the audience, they are the audience. 
And we really try through all kinds of ways to get inside the head of the 20-something woman because one of the issues with her is she believes marketers don't know how to talk to her and um, she likes to be involved in uh, in a lot of things, but certainly in the development of campaigns that are being targeted towards her. So we really try and understand her, and then we counsel our clients on how they can reach out to her in a way that will actually resonate. Mm-hmm. So what? So can you talk a little bit about, I know during the presentation you talked about Jennifer, which was sort of the amalgamation of, of the uh, person of, of who this is? Yeah, Jennifer is sort of how, as you said, we've personified this uh, age group. And because 25 years ago, Jennifer was the uh, most popular name for baby girls. So we felt that that was, it's, when, you, when you're dealing with a group like this, and you know, Walmart introduced Linda, for example, she's their bullseye. So Jennifer is our bullseye, and we, only, we don't say we target women in their 20s, although I've said it a few times here. What we say is we talk to Jennifer, and we talk with Jennifer, and we actually have personified that group because we feel it is, it's a really important group, and we have given her a name, and, um, and we've learned a lot about the stage she's at in her life and the influences that have made her who she is. There are a lot of really interesting things about this demographic, and I don't know, do you want me to talk yeah, a little I bit thought, about that? I think that? it's worth it talking a little bit about it, just because, you know, in advertising you say 18 to 34, and you made a point during your presentation, which is that doesn't make any sense anymore. No, not at all. 18 to 34 is actually three different consumer targets. Uh, there are women who are sort of 18 to 22. So they're, you know, college students, and they're sort of at that phase where they're just kind of, you know, coming of age, but they're, you know, they're, they're not, A, A they don't have the, um, the spending power, and B, they're really in a transition phase in their life. And then on the other end of the spectrum, um, and I know you're not one of these, <laughs> Because <laughs> you don't drive a minivan, but we call them mummies and minivans, and that's and you know and they don't necessarily have to do or be either of those things. But they're women over thirty who, if they're not married and aren't starting a family, they've typically what well, we say they've typically sort of picked a lane. You know, they know where they're going in their life, and and they've really got established relationships and some established brand relationships and brand loyalties already. Mm-hmm. So we think that, you know, the um, ham in the sandwich there is the 22 to 30-year-old woman who is, you know, in her first real job. She's graduated college. She's got her first real paycheck. She is um, at, a, at a very uh, living alone. So she's, you know, on her own, not necessarily alone, but not at a dorm room or a sorority house anymore. She's actually independent for the first and sometimes only time. Yeah. So often only time, as, as you know, it's, uh, as they get a little bit older, they tend to, you know, women tend to get married and have partners and have kids. But and, and this particular Jennifer today is doing things that in the past were reserved for older women or married women or couples, you know, she's buying a, buying real estate like crazy right now, which that never used to be the case. You know, usually young women waited until they had a partner. She's not waiting. Which I and think is fantastic and, and pretty amazing. I do too. I, it really shows the, the power, you know, Jennifer is a very, she's a, she's a young woman who as a little girl, she was, you know, her parents are that optimistic group that are the, the boomers and the leading-edge boomers. And so she was a little girl who was brought up to be very participatory in her own upbringing. She got to choose things like the cereal and the TV, you know, what kind of TV to buy and what kind of car the family would buy. And so she's quite used to being involved and quite used to actually having a lot of control. So um, I think we're seeing that now really... Uh, come to life in the fact that she doesn't need other people to help her with decisions like this or to support her in decisions like this. And now, what does that mean for... In, so, 
So advertisers would look at this information that you're you're getting in in one sense, but now if you were looking and we were you just said which is so true how marketing and advertising and PR they're all you know blending into one. Does this give you any insights if you're if you're trying to place stories that she's going to look at? Are you even doing it in magazines or are you doing it online or you know? Well, you know, we know some funny stuff about her media consumption habits. One of them is that, um, for example, in Canada, uh, actually, I'll I'll give you a, you know, an American uh, similarity would be that she would tell you if you asked her that she reads the New York Times or the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. um, when in fact, if she's reading a newspaper at all, it's probably USA Today. But she, <laughs> so Jennifer is not completely honest. Is that what you're saying about Jennifer? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sure I could say that about a lot of people. Um, but she is uh, no. But she, the, the little things like that. Her her media consumption habits. You know, obviously she's online all the time. There's that has. She is also the first daughter born into the information revolution. So, you know, her older sister. Um, didn't didn't have um, the you know the same technology she had all of her life. It sort of happened partway through her life, but Jennifer's had it her entire life. So yeah. she, she's she is as comfortable online as she is in person. You know that's sort of a huge part of her social networking. So obviously being online is a big deal. Um, and then it's where you go online. She's still reading magazines, which is great. I mean. You know, there's there lots of uh, lots of great magazines out there to consume for her, you know, her age group, and um, so she's still doing that. Uh, TV, but you know, for a marketer, again, it's it's this isn't uncommon with any uh, any age in this day and age. Is that you know now with uh, you can control your own um, TV consumption. Yeah. So it's really you know advertising on TV is becoming a bigger challenge, I think, because people can just zoom past it, zoom it out, zoom over it. They don't, you know, they never need to see it. Um, but yeah, she's um, she's an interesting cat for sure. She's had lots of uh, control. And not only has she always had a voice, you know, she's always been able to have an opinion, but because she's been using technology her whole life, she's been able to broadcast that opinion as broadly or as narrowly as she wants. Well, and you, you talked a little bit about um, about the the Dove campaign, a facet of the Dove campaign, and you know I've talked about it before because I'm a huge, huge fan of the of the Dove campaign. But for as an example, that's something that appeals to Jennifer. Yeah, it's it's um, you know it, certainly the Dove campaign is, appeals to everybody who loves you know brilliant communications. <laughs> but uh, Jennifer has um, it's it's very interesting. She's sort of been raised, she's, you know, when we were raised, when we were little, we were watching shows like, uh, well, you know, I'll really date myself here, so I'll try to be very careful, but like the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island and things like that that weren't real. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she was raised on like Jerry Springer, so <laughs> that, like that early reality TV genre, right? Mm-hmm. And so she is, and, and that's why, you know, look at reality TV now. It's just everywhere, and that's because she loves it. And uh, so she's really all about keeping it real and has a, has a, it seems a real aversion to things. For example, getting back to Dove, body image is a great example of this. We did some work um around body image for a client and what we discovered was back in the day, you know, back in my day when I was her age, it was all it was all aspirational, you know. We we loved to see the skinny beautiful supermodel and we would buy that product if we could be just like her. Yeah. Jennifer tells us that's not what drives her anymore. Now she actually wants to be able to identify with uh, the with the product, and it, it has to be more like her than so. It's more about identification than aspiration anymore. And so the Dove campaign, we tested a bunch of ad campaigns with her, um, some for our clients specifically, and then others that we you know threw in to see how she felt about them. And 
without question, the Dove campaign, and there was another one called Thundersize that Nike had done, were by far, they, they, you know, Dove blew the doors off everything else as far as being her favorite campaign. That's interesting. See, as the mother of a, of a, a young girl, I also, you know, I, I love that campaign because I hope that's the case. And I also grew up, you know, looking at magazines and thinking, well, I have to look like that if I want to be considered pretty, you know. Although, for the record, my own parents never made me feel that way at all. It was completely self-imposed. <laughs> it's usually the way it is. <laughs> but, no. I was talking to my best friend, who's been my best friend for my entire life, my friend Kathleen, the other day, and she said, you know, how did we get so crazy? <laughs> I said, we, I think we did it to each other. <laughs> she happens to that's pretty good. much fit that mold, however, but that's another story. That's, an, that's another uh, another day. <laughs> yeah, that's another day. But now I wanted to ask you about gloss, but from a different level. How do you think developing a department like gloss has added value to your company? Uh, two huge ways. I'll start with one, which is uh, employee attraction. Mm-hmm. It this the existence of this division has spread like wildfire, and the number of resumes we get in the door from budding young PR professionals because, of course, in our business, there are a lot of young women who are, you know, pursuing careers in public relations. Yeah. They love the idea of working on gloss. So from um, human resources, from a talent attraction and retention perspective, it has been fantastic. In fact, beyond what we didn't even think about that at the time, to be honest. When we launched Gloss, it didn't even cross our minds that it would be such a great way to attract talent. So that niche for us has really been terrific for that. The other piece of it, though, is that it allows you to get in because we don't, because it's very specific, it can allow you to get in the door with clients that you might not otherwise be able to get in with because, for example, they might have very long-standing agency relationships. Mm -hmm. And one great example, I won't mention the client, but it was a large um, beverage maker. Uh, They had a long-standing relationship for this particular brand with an agency, a PR agency. So, but the, the brand manager really liked the idea of gloss. So she said, let's bring gloss in because there's such a huge research component to gloss. Let's bring gloss in through the research door, which they did. We had, we did a little bit of research with them, but we executed on a really cool campaign for them, went extremely well, and now we're their agency of record. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So, and it was huge. It was a tiny little project that they gave us and said, you know, let's just see. We'll bring you in the store. And that was great. So in, so in many ways, and it's been a huge, you know, talking about, um, talking about the, the women that are trying to get into PR and, and in that way, it's a great way to, to find people. One of the things I like to, to ask is what advice you can give. I mean, you know, you have had so far such an incredible career and you still have so much more to do. What, what advice do you have for someone who might be listening, who isn't happy where they are or, you know, is looking to make a change? Well, the first thing I would say is, and this is a, I'm part of a, a, a council of PR agency presidents here in Canada, and one of the things we often talk about is that PR graduates don't have a lot of business experience. So when you are working in a PR agency, or if you're looking for work in a PR agency, one of the things you need to do is you actually need to run, it's like when you're running an account, so as you're, you know, graduating through the ranks, running an account is like running a little business, you know, is budgeting and all kinds of things that go with that and understanding business and understanding business objectives of your clients. There's so many things that have such a huge business overlay, but yet we're not seeing PR graduates that have any business background. So they've, you know... I think a lot of people think I'm a good writer and I watch the news, so I would be great in PR. Um, And that could well be true, but uh, there's a big piece of it lacking. So my 
first piece of advice would be take a business course, you know, and make sure you communicate that in your interviews. Make sure people know when they're talking to you that you are, you know, somebody who gets how a business runs. And, you know, I I have a funny little story. I'm looking to hire somebody else for my PR department, and I met somebody that I was kind of, you know, she had a she had a scheduled interview with me, and she had already met with the HR people, and I liked her. I, I wasn't really sure. There were some things I liked very much about her, and some things I weren't I wasn't sure about. And she sent me a follow up note very quickly afterwards, which was a big plus. And she spelled Huge. the name of my company wrong, but it wasn't just like one. You know, maybe you're rushing, and it was like a typo where it was one. You know, letter was off. She spelled the entire name of the company wrong. And I, I was sure amazed was your at that. <laughs> you know, I just thought to myself, and I actually wrote her back and I said, you know, just I happened to notice that you did this and as a little bit of advice, you might want to be a little bit more careful about that kind of thing, before, you know, when you're looking for a job because, I mean, to me that says, you don't pay attention to details, especially if you're looking for, you know, especially if you're looking to make a good impression. Ouch. Yikes. Yes. That is a, uh, <laughs> that that's a, good a one. heinous crime. Absolutely. You know, connected to that, which you just said, Katie, which is interesting, is she sent you a nice little note right afterwards. So notwithstanding the fact that, it, you know, it completely deep sixed her in the scheme of things. <laughs> That is something that I think is really important when you're interviewing is make yourself stand out. You you know what it's like. You get a stack of resumes. You interview 10 people. You don't even know one from the other anymore. And so I always counsel people to... Go in and pre- like go in and pitch yourself like you're a product. You know, send a teaser in advance if that's you know, which which I've had. I tell you, I'm a total sucker for that stuff. So send a teaser in advance and then show up and do something different. You know, I had um, uh, one time a young woman came in and she brought muffins and coffee and she said, "Here's some food for thought." Ooh, that was a good one. Isn't that great? I'm going to give you some food for thought, and I loved it. I hired her. Um, <laughs> And, but it was obviously she was also qualified and spelled the name of the company right. <laughs> Which, and my name is Beverly, and it's spelled L E Y. And and when people don't spell my name right, I I won't look at them again. Just because, to your point, you have to be you have to you have to pay attention to detail, and those seem like small things, but they're huge things. Yeah, I mean they're they're just they're very important. You know, any they're just important, especially when you know someone's making a first impression, if they're not really bothering to do it correctly, how are they going to do it with the client or how are they going to do it with, uh, sure, with after the reporter, they've been there for which three is what you have And they don't for. need to make an impression anymore. Absolutely. It, it, it says so much about the person and the person's, um, well, possibly ability, but also just their attitude. Are there any other tips, though, when someone comes for an interview with you, any other tips that you you could give that would be useful besides trying to set themselves apart or anything else you look for in answers to questions? You know what? I look for... I like to chat. As you can, as you know, I'm a little bit chatty, and um, and I, like I really <laughs> try and see through what people are saying. So I often will, I'll take people off on discussions that are don't seem relevant at all to the interview or to their abilities, um, because I think you find out so much about a person when you talk about other things. And so I think you know some young kids come in and they're really well prepared to go through line by line of that resume and, you know, defend, you know, how good they are and all of those things. But as soon as you move off that and they get off message, they fall apart. And I think you need to be prepared for that. You need to, you need to really, instead of getting so caught up in the, I worked here or I went to school here from this year to this year and I did very well and here's a, you know, something I wrote at college and I won an award. Instead of all of that, relax a bit, step back and, and be sort of more holistic in your approach to an interview. And... You can, actually, I could go on a total tangent, which I obviously am, <laughs> about all of this stuff. But the other thing, Katie, is ask questions back. That is another huge thing in an interview. When somebody doesn't ask me about something, about me or my, you know, when someone doesn't show an interest in me, I, I don't 
I don't respond well to that. Maybe I'm just selfish. <laughs> yeah, and I think that in addition, people should be enthusiastic. Oh. I mean, I'm I was surprised, you know, because I've been interviewing all these people, and I had this other person come in who who was pretty interesting, and she had a job already, but she had heard about this job, and she wanted to come in for it, and, and after we were talking for a while, I said, well, what do you think about this? You know, does this sound like something you'd want to do? And she said to me, well, you know, uh, I think it sounds great, and if you are going to offer it to me, I would have to tell you that I need to weigh the pros and cons, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> Lord. Right. Yeah, that's keeping it real. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just thought to myself, wow, you know, even if that's what you're going to do, which is a smart thing to do, you might want to tell me that you're very extremely interested and then go home. I mean, you know, it was. I just thought, oh, nobody has counseled this person better. Yeah, that's unfortunate because, and it sounds like she. if you said she's already in a job, she obviously didn't get asked that question last time <laughs> because that is not the right that answer. one to begin with. <laughs> I think... She's, well, you know, the thing about this business is you've got to love it. This yeah. is not for the faint of heart or for people who don't really love what they do. Yeah. And so you need to show that from the minute you walk in. And, okay. I, I mean, I have a, we have a really energetic shop. There's a really great vibe in our shop, and it's really high, high energy. And if somebody walks into that and they're flat, it's just like a, you know, a, a neon light flashing. It's all bad. Well, do you think this is a good... uh, What do you think about this industry as a whole? Is it a good time to be in PR? I think it's the most exciting time ever. Yeah. Totally. There is so much going on. Public relations, as you know, for the longest time, has sort of got a bad rap a little bit, you know. Um, You know, we're not ad agencies, and, you know, we're not professional schools, and there are all kinds of, you know, things out there that have sort of served to impact the way people look at at PR professionals. And this is, I think it's just coming of age now. I feel like this is the time when good, strong, strategic, creative teams can blow the doors off because the, the, the playing field is now leveled with other marketing functions. So we're online, we're competing with you know, uh, for online business with other uh, folks in, in marketing and advertising. And as I was talking earlier, the lines are so, you know, blurred now that it's just, it's just opportunity everywhere you look. And you can just do so many cool things, guerrilla marketing. And, oh, it's just fabulous. I, I just, I love it. And I love the challenge of it, right? It's the whole wow, what do we do today? You know, the world's totally changed today. Now what do we do? And just being able to really stay ahead of that and on top of it is exciting. And if you, if you love it and, you'll, and you do it well, you will really succeed. I completely agree. And I couldn't think of a better way to uh, end this. Beverly, I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Will you come back again? Oh, I would love to. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. You too, Katie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's all we have time for today. Please join me next Tuesday for another edition of The Hook. Thank you and have a terrific day. Bye-bye.